If you will, let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your love and your care for us, and we are grateful for that night divine when our Savior entered into this world on the greatest rescue mission in all time and eternity. So, Lord, we pray that today as we open your word that you would speak to us. And, Lord, I pray you'd use me, your servant today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you will, open with me to John 8, 12. If you have a Bible, if not, it'll be on the screen, so there's a Bible in the seat ahead of you. Before I begin, I want to one last time apologize to the choir for their view this morning. Again, sorry. Especially. So uh, anyway, what an incredible weekend it's been. So thank you so much for all your hard work and all that all of you have done. And I don't know. Brian was there. Now he's vanished. He does this. He disappears. And so um, grateful for what God has done this weekend. Uh, the story of Christmas is... Uh, it's a familiar story, right? It's the nativity scenes. It's the, it surrounds us. It's familiar, and we know it um, by things like, like this. We know, we know the other stories, and if you were with us the last few minutes, the, Twas the Night Before Christmas. We've heard that story before, right? And all through the house. Right? We, we know the, the other stories of Christmas, like the reindeer that helped Santa deliver all the presents with his red nose, right? We know the stories of my new classic favorite, the elf named Buddy. He just wanted to find his dad, right? It's the best Christmas story ever. And we know these stories, but, but they are. They're fairy tales. They're, they're stories. And so even when we use words like the Christmas story, it's not a story like other stories. It's reality. It's truth. There was a time in history where God stepped down into our existence. In stepping down into our existence, he provided something for us that we could not provide for ourselves. It's the greatest story ever told, the story of Christmas, that God would step in. But there's this other piece of it that maybe we don't always see. But, you know, for me, I remember the time when I came to know Jesus as my Savior, there were some things that had happened prior to that that I guess I just didn't know. And one of those things I didn't know, which I believe is kind of the crux of the whole thing, is I just didn't know how needy I really was. I really thought I had it all together. thought that being in charge of my life, I could get to where I wanted to go. I thought that my life would kind of make sense if I just kind of put God on the side of it, put my arm around him, And then hopefully one day when I died that I would be okay because I had my arm around God. But the reality is, is I was much more needy than that. I was unable to get to God on my own. I couldn't make a remedy for my sin. And bigger than that, there was a hollowness inside of me that I couldn't run from or escape. But when I came to know Jesus, there was a need that was met in my life that I'd been longing for. A joy, a peace, that I couldn't find outside of that. And I really believe that the whole story really is based on this. It's based on, I'm needy. I needed a savior to come and rescue me. But it's kind of interesting about neediness, isn't it? Now, if you've ever been around children, um, I have a few of them, and they are 
like needy leeches, right? Like this is what our kids do. They are constantly needing from us something. And they say this more than the other, but they say, mom, 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 mom. And then every once in a while they're like, dad, dad. And it's usually like, listen, dad, listen, right? That's what they say to me. And then they grow up. And I've been told that when they turn 13, that they say this, whatever, right? (laughs) And they become less needy. The second you become cool, your parents have done all this work on you and you're actually becoming a fun person to be around. And then you're like, get away from me, mom and dad, right? It's this weird thing that happens. And there's this point where I'm not needy anymore. You know, I'm not needy. I got it together. And then you go to college and you'll do what I did. Hey, mom, I need you to put $100 in my bank account. She's like, I already gave you $100. I said, yeah, it's, it's gone, plus 20. So I'm going to have an overdraft if you don't do that. I don't even think banks do overdrafts or just roll over things anymore. But in my day, we got penalized big time for that. And so, so then she put, right, and all of a sudden I became needy again. You know? And I think what we do in our lives is kind of like that teenager thing is we come to places in our life where we think, I've really got it together. I know a lot. My life is pretty good. If everyone would watch me and look at me, everything would be pretty good for them. I wish everyone could think like me. I wish everyone could act like me. And we come to this place where we really think we have our things together. Now, in honesty, there are some of us who do have some order in our life, hopefully by the grace of God. But it never changes the fact that we're really, really needy people. We're in need of redemption and we're in need of a savior. And I hope, as we look at this text this morning, that, that the neediness that is true for all of us is exposed as we read. So if you will, let's read together. John 8, verse 12, reads, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So in the text, there's just three things that we'll look at. First, Jesus says, I am the light of the living, living, something, something. I am the light of the world. Now, this is part of these I am's. Now, God, through the Bible, there's these I am statements. And in context of this passage, Jesus is going to reveal some of the other things that he is. But even if you look back further into the Old Testament, God will make these statements and he will say, I am that I am. And there are these strong statements and almost as you read them, they, they, they're like earth-shaking statements. This moment where everything just silences when God says, I am that I am. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I'm the alpha and I'm the omega. I'm the creator and I'm the sustainer. Everything bows to me. Everything worships me. I am that I am. It's this moment like you can rebel, you can run, you can hide, but I am that I am. And throughout the Old Testament, God has these statements, I am that I am. And then Jesus born, he comes, and he makes these I am statements, which any human being to make these is pretty astonishing, because they're pretty massive claims. 
And the people that didn't believe he was God, and if he wasn't God, they should have been upset. And they were. But Jesus was God. And he was the only one that could make these kind of comments. He says, I am the bread of life. Meaning that if you're hungry, you can come and eat from me and you'll never go hungry again. Jesus, what he's saying is he's satisfying these deep longings and desires of your heart. I am the one who satisfies you. And I don't know if you've observed it, but our society and our world hungers after many things. And those things that we hunger after, what happens? They don't satisfy. They typically destroy and corrupt. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He'll also say that I am living water. Whoever thirsts, let him come and drink from me. In our world, we run to all kinds of things to quench our thirst. But again, they are empty wells that never quench our thirst. But Jesus says, if you come to me, your thirst will be quenched. I am. And in this text, he says, I am the light of the world. This astonishing statement of Jesus saying, I am light. I will shine into the dark places of this world. See, the light, what it does is the light brings truth. It brings truth for our souls in the deepest places of our lives. It, it brings truth into our hearts, into ways we can't express. It exposes lies and helps us move into that which is real and honest and genuine. His light gives life. It takes that which is dead and regenerates it and makes it new and whole. Being the light of the world, he displays what is truly beautiful in our world. See, Paul will pray this for the church in Ephesus. He'll say, he'll, he'll pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, meaning he says that I'm praying for you to have spiritual illumination, that light would shine into the things it's not shining into. And he prays three things for the church. He says that you would know the hope, your, your eyes would be open, spiritual illumination would come, you would know the hope to which you've been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the power directed toward those who will believe. Now these are pretty profound things that light can be shown into our hearts. Now, hope, that you would know the hope to which you have been called, that you don't have to live hopeless in this world, that you don't have to live kind of wondering whether or not you're okay with God. You don't have to wonder about hope in this world because hope can be found in Jesus. He says, oh, that your eyes would be open, that you would see the hopefulness that you can have as you walk and as you live in this world. And he says, oh, that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. See, that text doesn't say you got rich when you got God. What the text says is that you know the riches of his inheritance in the saints, meaning God got rich when he got you because you are of invaluable worth to God. And the reason I know that is because he gave one of infinite value for you. You are worth what you were paid with. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and me to be made right with God. If you've ever struggled with worth and dignity and value, 
Just saying today, the greatest worth and the greatest dignity and the greatest value has been given to us by God, saying that I will send one to die in your place of infinite value because you are of infinite value to me. Oh, that we would know the hope to which we've been called, the riches of our inheritance, of his inheritance in us. And then he prays this third and this last. He says, oh, that you would know the power directed toward those who believe. Saying you do not have to live powerless in this world. The power that rose the dead from the grave, the power that rose Jesus from the grave is now ours in Christ Jesus. And what's even more astonishing about this is he says it's directed toward those who believe. Meaning that if you believe the power of God is available to you today, you don't have to live powerless. And so, oh, that the eyes of your heart, illumination would happen, light would shine in, and you don't have to live hopeless anymore. You don't have to live without value and worth anymore. You don't have to live powerless anymore, but the hope, the light that has been born can now shine in our lives, and we can live hopeful and valuable and powerful because of what he's done. Oh, and so Jesus says, again, in the text, he says, I am the light of the world. He brings truth, he gives life, and he displays beauty. And he opens our eyes increasingly to see this greater thing that he has done. The second thing that we see in the text is, it says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Now, as I live my life, I've had pretty incredible privilege to see a lot of things. Um, But one of the things that I've observed, and I don't know if you've observed this, but this is what I've observed, is that the darkness just seems to be getting darker the longer I live. So Deb and I, since we've been married, we'll celebrate our 15th anniversary on December 21st. Yes, we got married close to Christmas. I don't know why it was a mistake (laughs) not to marry her, but to get married that close to Christmas. And I got to figure something out really good this year. But every two years since we were married, someone significant in our life has passed away. And there's been years where we would literally say 2009 was marked by death, where we had multiple people pass away that were very close to us. And I don't know about you, but when you sit in those rooms, those emergency rooms, those hospice rooms, there just seems to be something so sad that it overwhelms you. And there's a darkness in death that's just there. Now, I've been hopeful in a lot of those rooms because of what those people believe, but there's still a darkness in the room because I don't believe God ever made us for death. I think it's a result of sin, and that's what the Bible teaches. Traveled to countries like Thailand where I've walked into a village and a mom on a porch pushes her daughter in skimpy clothes about seven year old, five, seven years old out to me. And she starts yelling, 30 baht, 30 baht, 30 baht, which is a currency of about 70 cents that I can buy her daughter from her. It's dark. I've been in places like Guatemala where I've held a little boy named Andre who has HIV, undiagnosed stomach is distended and we're hoping to get him on meds and two weeks later to get an email that he's passed away. I've been in many other places and I could tell you a lot of other stories of the darkness and you could tell me 
This world is dark, and you don't have to just look on the news to see the darkness. It's dark. But I would say in the same way that the darkness gets darker, but the light of Jesus just seems to be getting brighter and brighter and brighter in me. Because, see, it's an amazing thing to walk into a community in Guatemala now where babies don't really die anymore because the light of Jesus came in some missionaries who brought hope and brought water and brought peace and brought health care and brought education and brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to illuminate the soul that people won't walk in darkness anymore but will walk in light. And even in my own life, knowing that there's more beyond this world and sitting eye to eye with my brother as he's passing, knowing that he's walking from a dark earth to a bright light in heaven with Jesus. The darkness is dark all around us. In this text, it says that whoever, right, it says in the text, it says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. I am so grateful that I have the light of Jesus in my life because as I walk in this dark world, I am not walking in darkness, but I'm walking in light. See, we, we don't have to walk in darkness. We can walk in the light as we walk in this dark world. And we can do it even internally in ourselves and in others when we do it in our heads and our hearts and with our hands. In our heads, there's a darkness that can prevail our thoughts. It prevails our thoughts like this. It does it with ourselves. Anybody have an issue with thinking badly of themselves sometimes? I do. Right? Think, I'm not good enough. Man, that was bad. I shouldn't have done that. Ah, did anybody, anybody with me? Come on, help a preacher out here. Anybody with me? You kind of live in our own heads and wonder if we're good enough. Can we do this? And we, get, we can get consumed with what others think of us. And then we get consumed with it. And then we wonder if I, I got to please this person and that. And it's overwhelming and it's exhausting. And then we do it with others and we think, that person thinks bad of me. Well, let me tell you about that. And I, my mind starts rolling about that person and this and that and that about this person. And there's a darkness that can just prevail our minds. Amen? Yeah. I mean, there's a darkness that can prevail our minds. And I think one of the things in this text is saying is there's, a, there's light that can shine into that darkness. We don't have to live there. We can take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Meaning, I don't, I don't have to think that about myself because simply the scripture says, I am seated in the highest places with him. I am his treasure. I'm his jewel. I'm the apple of his eye. That I am loved by a heavenly father and I can be identified with him completely. And I don't have to be defined by any of y'all, right? I just went Southern, right? <laughs> notice the guy in one of those videos. I don't know if you noticed this. It was like a George accent and he says, die. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if you noticed that, so... One of the videos over the weekend, he has this perfect, like, kind of Midwestern voice, and then he says, die, and he goes, die. <laughs> it's like this. He didn't pronounce his I right there. So it's like saying oil. There's an I in it, Southerners. Like, not oil, it's oil. And so, uh, <clears throat> but there, there's a darkness that can prevail our minds toward others and toward ourselves. And I believe that God wants us to be at peace with others, with him, and with ourselves he wants us to live in his peace and to live in his joy. And there's a darkness that we have to push away and let light shine in in our hearts and our desires and our longings that we desire and we long after pure and good and noble things for, 
for, for others, that we, we long for pure and good and noble things, not wanting any to perish, not wanting any to have harm, wanting others to have peace and letting that be the longing and the desire of our hearts more than anything else. And maybe the greatest desire of all is that the Lord would reign and rule in our hearts and in our lives supremely over all other things and letting it move into our hands and our life, that with my hands and with my feet and with my mouth, with all that I am, that there is light shining from me as the light shines upon me. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. I don't think he's speaking of just some sort of light illuminating out or radiating from us, but I think he's speaking about this deeper internal thing in our heads and our hearts moving out of our hands. The last thing is we think about that. You know, I, I would like to think that my children, their first words were, you know, maybe daddy, right? So we have this thing at home. Deb says to Rylan all the time, mom, 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 mom. Like she does it all day long. I know she does. <laughs> so I get home and all night I'll do this dad, 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 right? Trying to win. But, but we all know that have had kids that the first real word that they say, now we make up who they say first, but the real first word is no, right? Because... <laughs> They're wicked, right? We're all wicked. And they, like God just said, I'm gonna, kids are gonna like to say no so much. They, and I've heard it in other languages. It's not just an American thing, right? <clears throat> because there's a rebellion inside of us. There's a rebellion inside of our hearts that says, almost, I'm gonna walk in darkness. I'm, I'm gonna chase after these other things. I'm gonna, I think the word in scripture is, I'm gonna live in rebellion, but the thing about rebellion is, is rebellion, and we all, we all know it when we watch others live in rebellion and we're like, that's not going to end good for him. That's not going to end good for her. I mean, watch the Hallmark movie today. There's somebody that's going to be in rebellion, <laughs> and then all of a sudden their heart's going to bend, and they're, they're all the same, but we watch them multiple times a day, right? And this is the new Christmas tradition. There, there's a rebellion that, that we look like fools in it. Yet it's truly rebellion. It's just simply rejecting light. And it's saying, I am going to walk in darkness. And the adult version of it is somewhere in our hearts we say, I will not. Instead of submitting ourselves to the Lord, saying, oh Lord, I know that you desire good for me. And I submit myself into that. So help me in my mind, in my heart, and in my life, would you let your light shine upon me and shine out of me as I live? And the last thing that it says in the text, it says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 1, 9 says, the true light, Jesus is the true light that gives life to every man. Jesus said it like this in John ten ten, I have come... Um, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more, yikes, that you might have it more abundantly. I believe that what Jesus wants for each and every one of us in this room is an abundant life. An abundant life full of his joy, full of his peace, and full of his light. But make no mistake, there's opposition against that. Because the thief has come to steal, kill, kill, kill and destroy. 
And when we walk in darkness, there's a lot of stealing, and there's a lot of killing, and there's a lot of destruction. But when we walk with Jesus, we can have an abundance of life as his light shines brightly on us. I hope this Christmas season, I hope in all seasons, that we would be captivated by the Lord Jesus, that we would never forget our neediness, and we would recognize that the light of the world has come, and we don't have to walk in darkness, but we can have the light of life as we submit our lives to him. If you will, let's pray. Father, We believe that you sent your son, Jesus. We believe that he is the light of life. Lord, forgive us of our rebellion. Forgive us of our forgetting how needy we are and help us to walk in your light. Lord, for the person who's never trusted in you today, I pray that you would help them this morning to just simply say, Father, Forgive me for my rebellion. I am needy. Jesus, save me. Let your light shine on my life. Change me. Lord, those of us who have given our lives to you and have experienced your light, help us to no longer walk in darkness, but to walk in your light. We love you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.